This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Amen. What a good, good Sunday morning so far, amen. Just a wonderful, wonderful Sunday. Good morning and welcome to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. Uh, we are so excited this morning and we're excited because uh, we have a lot of cool things happen over the weekend. I'm, I'm just... On cloud nine, because uh, Gloria uh, Lovelace, is, uh, her, her son, Mitch, is Mitch, right? Mitch was baptized uh, on Friday by Brother Ed Bush, so we're, we're so excited and uh, thrilled about that. Uh, we had the opportunity to go by and visit uh, Brother Howard Cox in the hospital. Praise God, he's out of the ICU now. He's in a regular room, and one of the things that he said to me that was so powerful is he said... Uh, I appreciate all of the cards that have been sent. And uh, Alicia, what he said that was so special is he said, uh, I love giving, getting stacks of them, not just one at a time, but a whole stack. So I want to say thank you to everybody who comes out on Wednesday night and uh, helps us write cards to some of our uh, shut-in and those that are ill. Uh, got another cool announcement. We won our first basketball game this weekend. So um, Co- Coach Jay over here, Teffer Tiller, if you don't know him, I, I, I don't want to embarrass him because I know how shy he is. I want him to stand, but I'm not going to make him stand. He looks like he's standing right now because he's 6'7", 6'7", huge, and he's helping me coach, and we got our first win. We also lost one, so we're at 50% right now, but uh, we're, doing, we're doing pretty well on that end. And then uh, Kevin, thank you so much for that wonderful Bible class this morning. It was so uplifting and encouraging. Uh, but this morning, I'm going to bring this down a bit because we're going to talk about anger. Amen. I <laughs> uh, want to say this. If you're visiting with us for the first time this morning, we want to let you know that you are our honored guest, and you're always welcome to this church whenever the doors are open. And we believe you've come to the right place this morning because I don't think you'll find a finer church in all of Mission Viejo. Amen. Brother Ed, thank you for leading us in our worship this morning. And Corey, thank you so much for your wonderful uh, communion, communion thought. If you did not know, we are continuing to work our way through a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And we're actually examining Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. So if you have a copy of your New Testament this morning, we've got the slides up on the screen, but I really encourage you to have have your Bible. And let's do this by show of hands. If you got your, not show of hands, show of Bibles or tablets. If you got your Bible there with you this morning, let's see them. Very good. Very good. Put it back down. Put it back down. Amen. Want to have you have a physical copy of the Bible or your tablet or your phone with us. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. In part one, we discussed how Jesus communicates to his disciples that they can live a blessed life if they follow some of the principles that we looked at, uh, follow all the principles that we looked at in the the Beatitudes. So that was part one of our sermon series. We looked at the Beatitudes and we talked about how you can have a blessed life if you follow Jesus' teachings. Last week, we spent our time discussing how Jesus calls us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world In whatever context and situation that we find ourselves in, we're called to be salt and light. And today, finally, in part three, we're going to be talking about this taboo subject, anger. By a show of hands, how many of you have ever gotten mad before? Wow, some of of you didn't put your hands up. That's great. I need to meet you after service. Amen. (laughs) But we get mad sometimes, don't we? For some of us, we get mad more often than not. 
Some of us are like tea kettles where we just hold things in and it builds and builds and then we just lose it, right? So some of us here are like the Incredible Hulk. We just, we just lose it, we transform, right? But we all struggle with anger from time to time. And it's something that is a part of our human nature, our DNA almost, our makeup. And Jesus throughout Scripture has a lot to say about anger and about angry thoughts. The story goes that there was a husband and a wife, and the husband said to the wife, when I get mad at you, dear, you never fight back. How do you control your anger? And the wife said, well, one of the things that I do is I get down on my hands and my knees, and I just clean the floor. And the husband said, well, how does that help? She said, well, because I use your toothbrush. Um, (laughs) We call that passive-aggressive, amen, (laughs) passive-aggressive. Oh, boy. I heard getting angry is like leaping into a wonderfully responsive sports car, uh, gunning the motor and taking off at a high speed and then discovering that the brakes are out of order. Anger is an emotion that we all feel from time to time, and if it's left unchecked, it can completely destroy our lives. And Jesus had a lot to say about anger, so I think we should study this topic today. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to begin, and we're going to start at verse number 21. You don't have to change the slides, Alicia. I'm just going to read through this text. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse number 21, and we're going to go down to verse 26. Follow along with me in your Bibles. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, That if anyone is angry with his brother, he'll be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if any of you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still on the way with him, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth that you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Matthew chapter five, verses 21 through 26. So let's set the context just a little bit as we exegete this passage together. The first uh, thing that we need to know and really consider is Matthew chapter five and verse 21, which is, Something that is very simple and easy to understand. You know, during this time period, Jesus was making reference to this mosaic judicial system. You see, there were elders who would judge the civil cases and civil disputes amongst the people. And if they were too hard to handle, you remember the Old Testament, if they were too hard to handle, they were to take these cases up to the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was a group of about 70 judges. And if I'm trying to make 
an equivalent. It'd kind of be like our Supreme Court a little bit, if that makes sense, right? They handled the big, large cases. And Jesus said in verse number 21, you all know the consequences of murder. Nowhere in the Old Testament does it say that murder was okay, right? And if murder happened, there was a process that a person had to go through. They had to go to court. They had to work it out. However, Jesus begins to take this concept of murder, and then he says, but I have something else to say, right? And what he says is the importance and the power of using words, angry words, that, that can get us into trouble. Let's go to Matthew 5, and let's read this again, and let's examine this together. If you have your sermon outline or sermon notes, there's one in your bulletin. You can take that out and follow along with us and fill in some of the principles here. He says, but I tell you the truth. After he talked about murder, we all know that murder is wrong, and you're going to have to face the consequences. But then he says, but, but let me tell you something. Let me, let me flip this around. Let me make sense of this in the Christian dispensation, if you will. But I tell you that if anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus knew the importance and the power and the damaging effects of words said in anger. And we all know that you can be sued for anything today. Amen? Say amen if you can, right? You can be sued for any and everything. You all see the cases of the person going into McDonald's, slipping on some wet floor, and then suing McDonald's, right? There was another case where a lady drunk a, a, a cup of coffee, and it was hot, and she burned her tongue. Sued, right? Churches are sued. Individuals are sued. There's probably some of you here today that have had to deal with lawsuits and court cases, and you know how difficult and hard and taxing that could be. You can be sued for anything today. Defamation of character. We've got to watch what we do and watch what we say, and Jesus was saying this. He said, if you're angry, without cause, you will be judged. And then he goes on to say, if you say raka. And do you guys know what that word raka means? Maybe you have a commentary or something like that, a dictionary in the back of your Bible. If you don't know what that word raka means, it's a word that means worthless, right? So if you call someone Raka, you are saying to that person, you are good for nothing. Now, those are tough words. Have you ever been called good for nothing before? I have. I have. In the Army, they use that every weekend when I go to the street, right? You're worthless, good for nothing, right? Those words are super damaging to people, right? And what was so disturbing about this context, this passage here, is that the religious folk of the day were using this word. They were calling each other worthless, good for nothing. And Jesus says, look, if you're going to use those words, if you're going to say that, you're going to be judged by the Sanhedrin. But then he goes on and takes it a step further. He says, if you call your brother a fool, you're taking it even to another level. And, and the question is, you guys know by definition what a fool is? Some of you are saying, yeah, I know a couple. No, no, don't say that. A fool is someone who is completely unintelligent, has no common sense. Have you ever used that word in traffic? That person, uh oh, <laughs> that person cuts you off, or that co worker, or 
I remember uh, growing up, you were not allowed to use that word fool in the Darden household. See, I grew up in the South, and if you ever said that word fool, that was the worst word that you could ever, ever use, right? You don't ever use that word and call someone unintelligent. Jesus says, if you do that, you're in danger of the fire of hell. These are all angry words. People are using these words in anger. And when he says the fire of hell here, the translation is Gehenna. And you know what Gehenna is. That means you're going straight down. So Jesus here is making light of the power of words. And he says we have to be very careful with how we use our words, especially when we're angry. And Christians, guess what? We shouldn't have a problem with this at all, should we? Uh-oh. Next point. <laughs> you know, angry actions begin with angry words. And angry words begins with angry thoughts. And throughout this text here, Jesus is teaching us to guard our hearts and our emotions, especially when we're angry. So the question is, well, well, how do we do that? Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Scripture says here, therefore if, any, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Now, I want to make this clear. Um, I think this passage, the implication here, this is my interpretation, that this passage is really talking about brothers and sisters that are connected religiously. So in my opinion, as I look at this text, I think this text could really be talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. Have any of you been in a good church fight? I shouldn't say good church fight. Have you been in a church fight before? There's something about church fights that just break your heart. There's something about brothers and sisters fighting in the church that just tears you apart. It tears up churches, doesn't it? It's terrible. And here's what we do a lot of times when we have problems with brothers and sisters in Christ. We still try to go to worship and act like nothing has happened, right? And typically what we do is we avoid that individual, right? Let's say something happened, we avoid that person, we go in and we do our worship, and then we go on about our business, right? And Jesus says here, if you're offering gifts to God, gifts of worship, gifts of offering finances, gifts of good time and goodwill towards others, and you remember that your brother has a problem with you. That's a tough one, right? You remember that your brother has a problem with you or is angry with you. It's your job to fix it. That's, that's, that's difficult. That's difficult. So I want to spell out a couple of assumptions here practically on what I think happens from time to time. So as I look at this text, maybe there was a problem uh, that happened between two people, right? Obviously. So that's assumption number one. There was a problem. It wasn't just that this person was just sick of the other person. There was comp- personality conflicts. Something happened between two individuals. So we don't know what it is or what happened here, but there was a conflict, uh, A problem arose between two people, and no attempt at reconciliation was made. That's the assumption as I read through this text. No attempt at reconciliation was made, and then the person went on to worship knowing that someone was angry with him. So that's the first couple of assumptions. And here's some more assumptions. Here's the problem. 
we can't possibly know everybody who is angry with us. And here's why. Some people respond differently when they're angry, right? You can't possibly know. I'm sure there's people angry with me now, and I just, I don't know, right? So how can we go being reconciled to this person and fix the problem if we don't even know that they're angry with us? See, I don't, I don't think this verse is talking about personality conflict. I think this passage is talking about something happened, and you know something happened between two people. You know that person is angry, but yet we do nothing to try to reconcile the problem. So that's another assumption. Here's another one. I think Scripture says here, and what I'm reading as I flesh out this text, if an attempt at reconciliation on your part was made, I think you've done your part. But guess what? That doesn't mean stop, right? If you have a problem with somebody, you go up and you say, you know what, forgive me, I'm sorry, and that person's just sour. You say, well, I've done my job. (laughs) On to the next thing, right? I think as I read through Scripture, we've got to keep trying at reconciliation, right? Reconciliation is a process, and sometimes it takes a long time, right? Just ask husbands and wives that get into it from time to time, right? Sometimes it takes a day or two, and then you're okay, (laughs) right? Or sometimes with children, it takes a little bit of time. Reconciliation is a process. So I think that's another assumption. If an attempt at reconciliation was made, kudos to you, did a good job, but don't stop there. Continue to try to work it out. Like I said, healing takes time. So if you look at your outline, we have um, a question that is posed. And I want to have you fill in some of these principles and these ideas Uh, So the question that is posed in your outline is, how does anger or angry thoughts damage our faith, okay? So I've got three points for our learning this morning, and and I'd really encourage you to write these things down. How does anger damage our faith? Well, point number one, we can lose control. That's point number one. We can completely lose control. When anger is present in the brain, here's your science lesson for today. When anger is present in the brain, the portion of the brain that controls logic and reason is clouded. And in some cases, it it just doesn't function properly. So when we get angry, we can act in very illogical ways, and we lose control. And that's why people say, you know, sometimes when they hurt someone's feelings by using poor words, they say, "I, I, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. You know, my response is, yeah, you did mean it, right? But, you know, I've kind of changed on that perspective just a little bit. When your brain gets clouded and stuff like that, you are really not in your right mind, like my mom used to say. You must be out of your mind. (laughs) So when people say they didn't mean it, that that might be the case. But the Bible tells us throughout Scripture that we've got to be self-controlled. And if anger gets a foothold in our lives, we can completely lose control. And guess what? We find ourselves in sin because we are no longer functioning in light of being self-controlled, as the scripture says, in the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? So that's point number one. How does anger damage our faith? We can lose self-control. We lose control. Point number two. How else does anger damage our faith? Well, we can hurt someone else. We can hurt someone else. Not only can our words really hurt, but oftentimes we can get into physical altercations. I was talking to a police officer buddy of mine and uh, you know down in Orange County region and I said you know we're down in Orange County you don't really experience too much crime and too much stuff like that he said you know the, the, the call that I respond to most is domestic violence down in this region I'm talking about South Orange County that's the calls that we receive domestic 
violence. And what happens is husband and wife or whoever, girlfriend, boyfriend, they get so upset, they use those words, and then they start knuckling up <laughs> or scratching up, however you want to worry, right? Physical altercations. So we can physically hurt someone. I remember when I was a young boy, I saw a fight between an elder and a preacher. I'll never be- forget it. Never forget it. So we were at this church. Let me tell you my story. We are at this church, right? Uh, there was a, a big problem arising. The church as a whole was tired of this preacher. He had been stealing money, doing something or whatever. I don't, I don't know exactly what happened. So the elders of the church got up and said, you know what? You, you need to get out of here. You're no longer welcome. He still got up in the pulpit that Sunday morning. The elders were standing in the front like this trying to block him. He went around. He looked like, you know, Steph Curry that day. I don't know how he did it. But he got up to the pulpit and was preaching. Some people, you know, they said, come on now. So he, he went out. And before I know it, I'm, I'm looking out the back. I should have been paying attention. But I was looking in the back in the foyer, right? And I saw this elder and this preacher going at it, pushing each other, shoving, shoving. I said, what is going on? So these angry thoughts, these angry words turned into a physical altercation at church. Can you believe it? At church. I remember another time I was preaching at my old church in North Metro, and we had this guy that came to worship, and for whatever reason, he didn't like my message that Sunday. So as I was preaching, he would stand up and interrupt me. I would say, Jesus says this, isn't that right? And he would stand up and say, nope, that's not right. Okay, and then he said something else, and I said, sir, you need to get up and you need to get out. So he got up and he get out and he went out. But you know where he went? He went into my unlocked office. So after worship, I was done with the sermon. I was shaking everybody's hand, hugging, kissing, smiling. I go back to my office, open the door. There's some guy behind my desk with his feet up on my desk. The same guy that I escorted out, right? He got up and as I walked in, he put his finger on my forehead and gave me one of these, just like that. I tell you what, I, I don't, my mind, whoo boy. If you could have known what I was thinking, right? I'm 5'6", but I pack a mean punch is what I was thinking in my head, right? So these angry thoughts, angry words, sometimes they turn into physical altercations. We have to be very, very careful. We can hurt people, right? We can hurt people. I called the police, by the way, escorted them out. I didn't have to touch them. I was thinking about it. But anyway, so point number two is we can really hurt someone. Anger can damage our faith because we can hurt people. Point number three We can really separate ourselves from God when it comes to anger. Point number three is we can separate ourselves from God. Anger is similar to lust in the sense that if it's not controlled, it can turn into sin. And scripture says sin separates us from God. And you know, physically in the body, uh, anger harms the body a lot of times. Did you know that? When you're an angry person all the time, you can cause harm to your body. My nurse practitioner wife says, if you stop, if you, if you stay being grumpy, Jason, you're going to have high blood pressure, right? Right? Or if you stay with an attitude or get angry, you can, you can have a heart attack or a stroke. Did you know that? If you live in a state of anger and always upset, always grumpy about something, you can have high blood pressure, heart attacks, and then you get frown lines. Nobody wants those either, right? Scripture tells us that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And we are called to honor God with our bodies and how we conduct ourselves. So if we're not careful, angry thoughts can turn into angry words, and angry words can turn into angry actions. 
and that can really damage our faith. Next passage, Alicia, let's go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. The scripture says here, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Okay? In your anger, do not sin. Here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I'm going to say. It's okay to get angry from time to time. It's okay to get angry from time to time. And I know some Christian folk are going, wait a minute. No, no, that's not the case. It's okay to get angry from time to time. And the reason why I say that is because I see Jesus getting angry from time to time in Scripture. Mark chapter 3 and verse number 5 is not up on the screen, but you can read the account. Jesus goes into the temple on the Sabbath, and there was a man there who had a shriveled hand right? And the people there, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, they were trying to trap Jesus and accuse him, so they wanted to see if Jesus was going to heal that man's hand on the Sabbath. The scripture says that when Jesus saw or knew their thoughts, he was angry, is what my translation says, NIV. He was angry and greatly distressed. The scripture says that Jesus was sinless, right? So I think from time to time, it might be okay to be angry. We talk about this theological concept of righteous anger. Have you heard about that? Righteous anger. And sometimes we use that as a motivation to get upset. I'm having righteous anger today, right? <laughs> I'm not really, this is righteous anger, right? Righteous anger. In order to have righteous anger, you have to be righteous. Wait a minute. Right? Scripture says we might not be there, Right? So we see Jesus overturning tables at the temple. Some would say that's righteous anger or Jesus was angry there. But we see Jesus overturning the money changers' tables. But what I see from Jesus in these bouts where we kind of see him being angry is it's controlled anger. Controlled. And like I said, a lot of times in our anger, we turn into monsters. You wouldn't want to see me when I'm angry, right? When we lose control of our emotions, we become monsters, and we've got to be very careful. So as we close this morning, I want to give you some principles, some ways to control our angry thoughts, okay? I want to look at James chapter 1, 19 and 20. 19 and 20. James chapter 1, 19 and 20. Scripture says here, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And I think that directly ties into this concept of righteous anger. We can be angry, but most of the time our anger does not bring about the righteous life that God wants from us because we, can't, we, we, we are not there. We are not there. So as we close, I want to give you some ideas or some ways that we can process how to control our anger, okay? These are from the... Um, the Darden International Version, okay? I, I've, I've been uh, taught these from a very young age because I might have been a little grumpy, right? That's what my mom and dad said. So I might have been a little grumpy. So one of the things that we can do when we're angry or we have angry thoughts is to smile. Just think about that. Let that marinate for a little bit. When you're angry, smile. Do the opposite of what you really want to do. 
my father taught my brothers and I this concept, this principle when we were young, very early on. And I remember we used to be upset with each other. My dad would say, smile. And we used to, I can't do it, right? He would say, smile. And then we'd just smile. And guess what? We forgot what we were upset about. So if you have these angry thoughts and you want to be able to control them, smile. When that person cuts you off in traffic, just go, squeeze it out, squeeze it out. Smile and see what it does. I'm telling you, it's life changing. Whenever you hear, not the sarcastic smile. (laughs) Not that one. Not that one, okay? But squeeze out a smile and see what it does. It's life changing. It disarms you. It disarms the situation and it puts you in a power position because what you did is you just controlled everything that was going on. You really wanted to react. You really want to get upset. And instead you smiled. And now you're in control, right? And the situation is not controlling you. So that's really important. Write that one down. Smile. So we should be smiling a lot this week, shouldn't we? Just just smile wherever you go. Smile. See what it does. Here's another one that I learned from... uh, my, my father, my father says, when you're, you're angry, a way to control your thoughts is don't say anything at all, right? Your mama taught you that. If you can't say nothing nice, don't say nothing at all, right? If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything. And you've been in positions or situations before where someone was coming at you and you just couldn't wait. I mean, they just teed it up for you. You were waiting to take it out, right? And you just let it go all out. You just let it go. And it just completely made the situation horrible and even worse, right? I told you the story, right? It, it, uh, I've got a whole bunch of stories about my old church. Anyway, I'm going to tell you. It's probably why I'm here now. Let me stop. But uh, there was a guy at our, our church that was really rude to my wife, Mary. He had some choice words from her. I guess he gave her a gift or something like that, or their family gave him a gift. And, uh, and Mary said thank you to him. And I was there when she said thank you to him. But... He was thinking that Mary was supposed to go out of the way and write him a card and give him some dinner or something or give him a kiss on the cheek. I don't know. He used to like to kiss all the ladies in the church or something. I don't know what he was looking for. And I went up to him. I said, don't you ever talk to my wife like that ever again. Guess what? He recorded me on his phone. He recorded me on his phone. And he took it to the men's business meeting. I was shaking in my boots that day. But guess what? The men in there say, I don't blame you because he's cutting. But anyway, you got to be careful. If you don't have anything nice to say, just, just keep your mouth shut. And that's a principle that I always try to follow. You remember what happened with Jesus? The scripture says they hurled insults at him, left and right. And the scripture said Jesus didn't even open his mouth. Oh, I hope and pray that I can be like that one day. You can say whatever about me. I'm not, I'm not going to even open up my mouth. I'm going to smile. Lastly, here's another one. Let God handle the person. Let God handle the person. Scripture says, let yourself be poorly treated. That's what it says. Let yourself be wronged, is what Scripture says. Let yourself be the guilty party. The Scripture says, if somebody wants to sue you, let them sue you. If somebody wants to take your cloak, uh, you know, give it to them. Give them everything, right? If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. Don't retaliate. And that's hard for us to do, isn't it? Because when someone 
comes at us, especially when we're not guilty. The only thing that we want to do is we want to retaliate. But guess what? When you don't retaliate, God works it out every single time. And I'm a living testimony of that. Let God handle it. And God has his ways. He has his ways. I don't want to end on a sour note, but I got to tell you another story. <laughs> we had a guy that was just the meanest guy you ever want to meet. Looked like he was raised off of pickle juice. I'm telling you, he was just mean. Mean, 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 mean. I remember one time, uh, the same guy, I think I told the story. I mean, tell it again anyway one time we had a guest preacher at our church and it was 100 degrees outside and the preacher was going kind of long so he turned the ac off back to the church and everybody was in there sweating we had a lady pass out during service true story right he was just mean i baptized a guy and this guy was a brand new convert he came to our church and he was going to help us retile the floor or something like that and this new convert came in and this guy said who are you what are you doing here i'm in charge of the facility get out right the same brother also told another guy in the church business meeting to shut up. Shut up! Right? You know what happened to this brother? God took him out. God confined him to a wheelchair. I remember one day we were looking for this brother. What happened to him? He was wheeling into the church building. And he couldn't talk anymore. Right? And I'm not saying that to be mean or to be rude, but I'm just saying God has his ways, right? Don't retaliate. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. So this whole idea of anger, Jesus had a lot to say about it. And Jesus said, let, let, let's stop with it. Let's stop with all of that. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Let it go. Smile. Right? Turn the other cheek. Be in a power position. Be self-controlled. And God will work out any and every situation that you find yourself in. Right? He'll work it out. But oftentimes, as believers in Christ, we just absolutely lose it. And that shouldn't be named among us at all. We should be the most patient people and really, 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 it should take a lot to get us upset. I mean, a whole lot. But I know some Christians that will flip if they just spill their coffee in the morning. <laughs> God doesn't want that from his people. He wants us to be self-controlled, to live a peaceful life, and to be able to get along with people. And that's what he desires. So by way of invitation this morning, I know it was a strong lesson, strong sermon illustrations, but if you're like me, you've dealt with this before. And for some of us, this can become a real problem if it's not checked. So by way of invitation, if there's someone here that has been struggling in this area with anger, maybe you've mis mis been mistreating your wife, Wives, maybe you've been mistreating your husbands or, or maybe you've been mistreating your kids or your co-workers or brothers and sisters in Christ because you've just had this angry spirit about you. You don't know why. This invitation is for you. Come forward. The church will pray with you, pray for you. All of us struggle with it. And we'll encourage you to stay on a straight and narrow and to be able to control that. If you're not a Christian this morning, there's a lot to be angry about in life, isn't there? A lot to be angry about. If you're not a Christian this morning, turn on the TV. There's a lot to be angry about. The scripture tells us that Jesus came to give you an abundant life. He came to get, bring you peace, to bring you joy, to give you encouragement. So if you're not a Christian this morning, you're just sitting in that, that, that place of anger and you're, you're cynical. We invite you to come give your life to the Lord. 
Repent of your sins. Put them on in baptism. Be added to the church, and the Lord will bless your life tremendously. He'll give you a brand new perspective, a joyous outlook on life. So we've got a song of invitation selected this morning. If anyone here is in need, we invite you to come together while we stand and sing. Angry words.